You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. This week, we witnessed the conjuring of a nun and the creation of Annabelle. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number in between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I am a random ghost that doesn't tie into anything, but we're going to make a franchise! And I am Thomas Mariani, and I am a nun who also believes that dinosaurs existed, so I'm progressive. Wow. Good for you. Very proud of you. Yep, I also rap, and I skateboard. Ooh! Wow! You could say this nun's having a bit of fun. <laughs> Keep on acting up, sister. Right? Right? Is that what we're going for? Secret, this, this is Sister Act 3, this is the reboot. We'll be the little person that yeah. come and just like, I'm here to talk to you about the non-initiative. Yeah, Sister Act 3, the devil made me do it. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh, but welcome everyone to the Double Edge Devil Bill, where if you don't know, every week Adam and I uh, cover a good and a bad feature uh, related to whatever topic we're doing that is, uh, you know, picked at the end of the previous episode. And uh, we decided, you know, in honor of The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, uh, which is coming out this week, we're releasing this. Uh, we decided to go to The Conjuring franchise, which is um, interesting in that I would say it's probably the most predominant horror franchise right now. In fact, I, I did some reading. It is apparently the second highest grossing horror franchise of all time. Really? Yeah, because the total gross of all those movies is about $2 billion. Wow, that's crazy. Do you know what number one is? Uh, Paranormal Activity, isn't it? No, those those movies didn't gross over $2 billion. <laughs> um, even though, like, I heard this, and I was a bit tangential about, like, is it technically a horror franchise? I guess it is. I'm not sure. Um, Godzilla is what they're claiming. That's a reach, but I'll give it. Yeah. Uh, I'll let her have it. That's true, that's true. Yeah, but we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about The Conjuring, which started in 2013 with the first film, The Conjuring, and uh, was the brainchild of James Wan. And it's very interesting given it's, it's sort of like what he's known for now, but is one of many, like, steps to his sort of modern superhero kind of stuff with Aquaman. It's interesting given he started with Saw, then moved to Insidious, and uh, then... We got The Conjuring, um, and uh, I, I would argue there's a lot of really good entries in this franchise, along with some, some fear of bad ones. How would you say it especially stacks up to other horror franchises of recent? I don't know. It's weird to me to call it such a huge, like, sort of franchise, because I wouldn't personally call the MCU a franchise. I would call, like, you know, the three Captain America movies, that franchise, Iron Man franchise. Yes, they're all part of a shared universe. Um, that's kind of how I feel about The Conjuring as a whole. Like, I just 
think of the three Conjuring movies as their own thing, and then the Annabelle movies. Well, maybe not the third Annabelle movie because it's pretty heavily to do with the Warrens. But I, I mean, I would argue that those individual things are series within a larger franchise because franchise is an exclusive to films anyway. Like I would argue, the MCU franchise, you get like TV shows and stuff as well that are added into that. You just you just can't help but tell me how it is, and that's why I appreciate. You will actually. Oh. <laughs> uh no but as far as how it stacks up to my, i mean really what can you compare it to other than like the paranormal activities and stuff like that there's not really much competition out there right now i mean as far as that goes then i think there's more sort of solid effort in the conjuring universe than there has been in any of the others i would say definitely of recent there isn't a huge amount of competition but i would also say i think in terms of like even cinematic horror in general i would say what i think really makes the conjuring one stick out so much is they're massive huge like crowd pleaser franchises that aren't just horror restricted like horror fan restricted and they're also it's one of the few where it's not just monster focus you'll get like annabelle's like you mentioned or some of these other things but the conjuring itself and especially we should talk about since neither of the two movies featured the Lawrence who are sort of the the main right. characters of the franchise. It's interesting with that, especially considering just, we might as well address it, the whole, hey, this is technically based on true people because the Warrens, Lorraine and Ed, were real paranormal investigators of sorts. I think we can firmly state that I think the both of us think those two IRL were uh, kind of huckster con artist pieces of shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. For me, like I, I can totally, hundred percent believe that because I'm not someone who believes in Lily's like the paranormal that they put out there. And I think they really tricked a lot of people into thinking they were, you know, some kind of experts or whatever. But at the same time, I kind of love the Warrens as characters in the Conjuring movies, mainly on the strength of Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson who are so great together, like, they're such a lovely, like, couple, and especially once they get a bit more familial with, like, their kid, or even some of the, you know, the families they try and help out, I feel so warm, and, like, I'm a part of it, almost just like, can you all adopt me? I know I'm a grown-ass man, and you're from the 70s, but please, adopt me, <laughs> and Lorraine. No, I completely agree, completely, completely agree. Um, I fucking love Ed and Lorraine, in as far as the Conjuring universe, for sure. You know, I just, I kind of went through and rewatched most of them in prep for this, uh, which I typically don't do, but I, I decided to do it this time. They steal scenes, man. I mean, they just chew it up, and they're supposed to, they're the leads, but it's just, they're fantastic together. They're a great emotional grounding for all of this crazy, jump-scary stuff to, to happen. And I'll say also, I think the big thing that helped me with the Conjuring franchise is it kind of made me love jump scares again. Because considering, like, the history of horror in particular, like, in the early part of this millennium, in the 2000s, like, I got so tired of bad jump scares, they were just so omnipresent and so, like, poorly put together, that I was just like, man, maybe jump scares are just a bad thing in general. And then James Wan comes in, and it's like, no, it can actually be fun, and it can be well executed, and you can also still have fun character stuff when you use it too much like any trope. It ends up becoming very stale and boring and like, oh my god, what the hell? As opposed to, these movies feel like really great sort of haunted house explorations. And it helps, it's like you're kind of going into that haunted house with a couple of experts along the way who aren't like, oh, I'm we're a couple of like teenagers out in the middle of the woods trying to make out. It's like, no, we're like expert paranormal investigators or whatever trying to stop demons and ghosts and shit. Yeah, they go in there wanting to see this shit. Yep. They go in there 
to happen. <laughs> like, like, come on out, motherfucker. <laughs> and like, yeah, they're balls to the wall. Uh, no, I, I definitely agree to the point to where, you know, I was watching our good feature and it's, I mean, it's chocked full of good jump scares. It truly is. And, but then there's just little subtle moments too, that, that they do in all of the movies, just something in the background that you can just barely make out or something like that, that just adds to it too. I mean, you're, you're hundred percent right. He, he sort of perfected what I think is the modern day jump scare where it's there for a reason. It's, it's not just like, Ooh, boogity boogity. There's a cat jumping on a table. It's genuinely unnerving and keeps you on the edge of the seat the whole time. No. Yeah. And of course that ended up sprouting off, not just a second conjuring film with those two, but various spinoffs, uh, which I agree. It's become sort of a cinematic universe. And I will say, of the various cinematic universes that have attempted to sprout out in recent years post-Marvel, I would argue, not necessarily quality-wise, but at least, like, continuity-wise, that Conjuring at least manages to hold together somewhat with its weird timeline. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think, And I think it's probably the most successful, other than Marvel, for that reason alone, because there is still a, sort of a an easy line, easy sort of um, story point to navigate and follow. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, though I'm very curious to see as things go along, because we're covering two of the spinoffs tonight, um, since uh, at the end of our last episode, um, I had the two bad picks, you had the two good picks, so we ended up with my bad pick of The Nun, the 2018 film, and then your good pick, which was Annabelle Creation, the second Annabelle film, which is also interesting, we picked the two uh, prequels that are the first stops on the uh, Conjuring timeline. Oh yeah, I didn't even think of that, yeah. That's true. That's true. So we're well, seeing we're seeing the right origins. The this is just called the Conjuring Origins episode. God, I hope that movie doesn't happen. It will now that you said it. Oh, maybe that's true. Where they have young, they'll just get Tysa again <laughs> to be young, <laughs> yeah. to be young Vera Farmiga. Which we might as well get into. Let's go ahead and start off with the nun. I had a series of visions when I was younger, and after each one ended. The same thought would be stuck in my head. What did you see? I saw none. Word of my visions reached the church, and I was asked to accompany a priest to an abbey in Romania. The abbey has a long history. Valak, not all good. here. So The Nun came out September 7, 2018, and is, as of yet, the first in the timeline for uh, the Conjuring franchise, which, you know, we're going in chronological order of the, the films uh, in that way. Uh, because we'll talk about creation after this. And also, it is the highest grossing of any of them at $365.6 million. And also the lowest rated, because it has like a 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, 41 on Metacritic, and even CinemaScore, which if you don't know, is the thing where basically during the initial sort of preview screenings, I'll ask people who come out like, what did you think of it? What would you give it on a grade scale? And audiences gave it a C, which for like audiences, that's dire 
that's really bad for like ascending the score because <laughs> they'll, they'll usually like most things get like oh yeah it's like an a minus b plus it's pretty good that's pretty bad all things considered and um i recently went through all the conjuring movies and hadn't seen this one in the theater because i avoided it and uh yeah i'm glad i at least did before but i couldn't escape it adam because i watched it now and um it's pretty fucking bad yeah i don't like the even the look or feel of the film it's just and it's boring you know that's always a problem if you have a horror film that's just a fucking bore to get through and it's not a bore like you know some people would equate to like slow burn or mumblecore movies or whatever they call them this is just it's a snooze fest man the, the movie's definitely a twilling its thumbs to get to an eventual point oh a hundred percent and when you get to the point you don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah, because uh, uh, we, we should mention, uh, interesting fact, both our movies are at least mainly written by the same person, Gary Doberman, uh, though James Wan has a story by credit for this and apparently did some of the reshoot stuff, particularly during the exteriors, which I will say, one of the few compliments I can give this movie, that castle they got in Romania for where, like, the actual abbey is, I think looks great. Yeah, them shits is haunted. There's Probably. no not looking at that one. No, there's ghosts here. <laughs> right, yeah, and I, I like that look, and I like this, the best sequences all that are in this movie, the few good ones, I would argue, take place outside, particularly in the graveyard. Um, as opposed yes. to most of the time we spend in this movie is with Tysa Formiga, who we should mention, obviously, Sister of Vera, who plays the uh, Lorraine Warren role in the main movies. No actual relation in the series. Like, this nun is not at all related to uh, the Lorraine right. Warren character. Um, but uh, she is this nun who, uh, or she's a nun in training. She hasn't quite gotten uh, her wings, yeah. as it were. Uh, she hasn't taken her right. vows and all that. Um, but she is tasked to go with a priest played by Damien Bashir, uh, as Father Burke, over to uh, this mysterious castle uh, where there's a abbey. And uh, it's been said that a couple of nuns have uh, been killed, as discovered by our uh, Frenchie, who is the local guy in Romania, played by uh, Jonas Bauquet, I believe is his name. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, but yeah, and uh, from there they go inside the house and the the nun is there, which we should mention. The nun had previously appeared in The Conjuring 2. And in fact, this spinoff was announced a mere five days after The Conjuring 2 made a shit ton of money. It's opening weekend. Uh, and you can tell it kind of feels like we have to just make a nun movie as opposed to we have a cool story for a nun movie. Oh, yeah. Without, I mean, without a doubt. And they were really high on the nun as a character, too. I mean, even in our, our good feature, you know, there's a moment with a picture and then even the mid-credits sequence. And uh, I think it's kind of a boring antagonist. I really do. Uh, I, I didn't like the look of the character in The Conjuring 2. I like it even less in this movie. I don't fucking care. <laughs> you know, I, I hate to say it that way, but I just, I think it's a weak character to sort of try to build a whole film around. I mean, especially when in its first appearance, you get the wrap up. Yeah. Well, it, it's also interesting. We should mention the big thing about the nun is that the nun is uh, her name. The name is Valak of the demon and the mm -hmm. nun visage was actually completely done in reshoots. There is a bunch of like stills you can see of the original Valak demon that was shot for the original part of Conjuring 2, which is like this big demon kind of looked like um, an alien queen, basically, from what I could see. 
from the photos, and they decided, no, we have to do something different, and they came up with the nun, which is, I guess, a simple stopgap kind of solution, and I like particularly the sequence where the nun shows up in The Conjuring 2 in the Warren's house, I think is, like, the best sequence with the nun, but also kind of shows you the actual limitations of, like, oh, well, what else can you do with the nun? I mean, she can just, like, walk around a house, in this case, a castle. <laughs> yeah, she can look super slow. She moves super, super slow. And it's like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't find it scary. I don't find it even really unnerving. I mean, sometimes when it's a long shot, you can see her in the very background and all you can make out is the white. Like, that, okay, that's kind of eerie, but no discredit to Bonnie Aarons. I mean, she's, she's doing the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, Bonnie Aarons, who don't... is the performer, who um, was also, people might not know, she's been in a bunch of like different like suit and makeup roles. Particularly, my favorite being, uh, she was the creature behind the dumpster in Mulholland Drive, which is still like one of yeah. the creepiest sequences in any movie is when she scares the shit out of the dude behind the Denny's dumpster. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, but yeah, no discredit, no discredit to her. I mean, she's really, she's doing what she's supposed to be doing. It's just, there's not much to do. Walk slow. Extend your hand. Walk slow. Sometimes growl with a bloody mouth. Cool. Done. Right. And the thing is, too, even the story that's happening, especially with the Demian Bertrand character, like, I don't care. I do like him, but unfortunately, this is just his thing now, where he'll pop up in these random-ass movies and play the same character in every single one of them. See this, see the Grudge remake, or reboot, or whatever you want to call it. Nobody has anything to do in this movie. No one. Not even Taisa Formiga, who I think is very talented. I don't think it's just a nepotism thing like under this role. I've, I've liked her on, like, American Horror Story and other things. But this is a very clear, like, indicator that she can't just be, like, stuffed down into the hallway like and look like you're terrified the the director here is corin hardy who had previously only directed a movie called the hollow which i had seen and do not remember much of just that was like this irish movie yeah, it's okay it's all right it's like a good first feature where i'm like okay maybe this guy could do like a decent like horror thing after this and they just plug him in and be like hey kind of do what james does and this movie is a great example to show of like okay you can sometimes do that. This franchise has tried this a lot, where it's like, hey, let's get a up-and-coming horror director to make something within this franchise. And we'll have two examples. This is the bad one, and the next one definitely is the good one, of like, let's give a budding filmmaker a chance with like a decent amount of studio money. And I think with this movie, it shows, like, especially Corn Hardy, God bless him, can't fucking light a hallway correctly for this movie where like so much of the indoor stuff is so dark like i can see more of what's going on when they go outside in the graveyard than i can indoors and i've watched this movie with like yep. lights on with lights off and like i've put the brightness on my fucking tv or my computer wherever the fuck i'm watching it it's like i can barely see what the fuck is happening in any of the sequences oh, inside where just except people are like coming down a hallway and they got a flat a fucking lantern or whatever and it's just I, I don't care about what's going on. You can't even show me it. I shouldn't care that much about it. No, I, I completely agree. And it because of the way it's shot, because of the way it's lit, because of the way it's filmed, it almost makes the story even kind of hard to follow, which is not even a complicated story, but you find like you said, if you can't even see it, you don't care about what's happening. So, like, honestly, I don't, I, I don't even really understand what the hell the point of this movie is, like, what happens, other than to, A, make the Nun movie, and B, do weird reshoots where the guy that they're performing the exorcism on in the videos from The Conjuring 
uh, other movies is the Frenchie character. Other than that, I don't see a point. I, th- I think it's just to exploit the nun as a character, which even the, James Wan in The Conjuring 2 were like, oh my god, did you see down the hallway and you see the nun? And what's creepy about the nun is that she's in the middle of this 70s looking house with the wallpaper and shit. And it's brightly lit. Right, and you just see a fucking creepy nun down the fucking hallway. That's terrifying. As opposed to a lady is like got a lantern in the middle of an abbey and there's a nun with no face at the end or whatever. Like that's not, And you can barely see what the fuck's happening. Who cares? That scene... Especially in The Conjuring 2, in the bright lit, middle of the day, 70s art deco fucking house. Yeah, it's terrifying because it's so out of place and just so like, it would be jarring. Like, what the fuck is this thing here? Where in this, like you said, it the setting of the castle, it does look great. The outside scenes in the graveyard, great. This character should fit into this universe perfectly, and yet... In a way, it feels even more out of place to me because there's just no stakes. I feel like th- that's the problem with this. I, f- I don't feel any stakes. Like even with the main characters, that's fine. Like say hypothetically, the main characters all die or whatever. I mean, that's terrible. But ultimately, you know what the ending is for the nun character. So why am I? I don't care. Well, I don't care. Right. And even then with like the characters that we do see, the, the strength of the first two conjurings really is that like you, like I said, believe in the family of the Warrens, this fictional version of them. And you also care about the families they're helping, particularly in the first one, like the Ron Livingston, Lily Taylor family. I am so endeared oh, yeah. to because it's just like they are like this is their last kind of ditch effort to have like a f- big family home and they really love each other but they go back and forth with each other in a way that feels believably like a family like that's the stuff you're really interested in. even in some of these spinoffs the better ones tend to emphasize like okay you do actually have to give a shit about the the actual group of people you're following they're getting haunted you can't just do whatever bullshit like a worse horror movie would do like the nun would do where like you have there's like the Tice Formiga character who I kind of referenced earlier was like, oh, she's this nun who like is progressive and believes in like dinosaurs and also that the Bible isn't exactly as true as it, you know, tends to be, which is weird because like that's just like, oh, that's a sensible thing. And then is the movie kind of teaching her like, no, the, you should believe like the Bible or whatever exactly note for note yes. because there's yes. a nun demon? That's exactly what they're saying. Um, and that's kind of been not only my problem with this movie, but my problem with a lot of the Conjuring films, specifically sort of the spinoffs, is to where it relies too heavily, uh, at least in my opinion, on sort of the church and faith being the answer. Not And not faith as in just having faith in something. Having faith in the church is going to be the answer to solve these problems. It just feels easy to me yeah. in order to have that sort of be the the be-all, end-all ghost killer. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with that. It also just, like, really questions any kind of skepticism to some degree in a yeah. way that feels really weird. Where, like, other ghost movies can be, like, vague about, like, oh, you know what, maybe the church isn't exactly right, but there is some other realm. But they take a, a more, like, agnostic approach sure. that I think is more healthy yeah. for, like, a haunted house kind of thing. As opposed to this, is it's very much just like, oh, you must believe, you must believe that we put a demon here in the middle like the crusades and we're able to block them off by having the blood of christ and amulet which for the record they fucking ripped off from tales from the crypt demon knight how dare you yes, rip off a cinematic yes, classic like tales from the crypt demon knight 
Mm-hmm. There's like I didn't see William Sadler walking around anywhere with that fucking thing. I would have loved it. Uh, but anyway, anyway, back to a bad movie. Um, I I will say one of the sequences I did like, and I think I'm very convinced this was a James Wan segment, was the bit where Damien Bashir is going out to the graveyard, and he sees a little boy that he had seen previously, which I'm not a big fan of that whole backstory thing, but that that causes him to like go into the grave. And the way that's all shot, I think, is the best sequence of the whole movie. And I'm convinced it's a Jane Wan's bit. Because, like, he goes into the grave, and you see him, like, fall into the grave. He's like, oh, God, I'm, like, trapped inside a coffin. And then the camera zooms up, and it shows the gravestone, and then pulls back. And it's like, oh, my God, he's actually buried underneath. That's such a cool, stylistic way of showing that kind of thing off, where I'm like, oh, this is, like, a fun bit. And then we'll go back inside, and I'm like, no, I don't care about taste for me got like praying with a bunch of nuns who turn out to be like not there i guess uh, like they're ghosts or something yeah something something i don't know and then the nun ends up in like water it's like she's in some jacuzzi that's like underneath <laughs> or whatever <laughs> uh, yeah pretty much you just gave away the entire fucking synop- like nobody needs to watch the movie now Good, I'm doing a service. <laughs> right, that's the only shit of note that happens in this movie. It's a real bummer, especially because, like, I think this is the... It's mo- frustrating. Well, no, it, it's really frustrating because I am kind of worried about, like, oh, are they going to just spin off things to death? Because Annabelle has had three movies, there's The Nun, there was La Llorona, which, for the record, barely has anything to do with Conjuring. Like, yeah. the only connection is the character from the first Annabelle, the priest, pops up again. But that's about it. Like, I don't know how many other things, despite having that treasure trove and, like, they're in the house, all the different artifacts that they could spin off into other movies. I don't know how many more you could really make into a movie. Like, there's even ghosts I really love. Like, I think my favorite part of The Conjuring 2 is The Crooked Man. Well, are they making that movie? They've been saying that forever. I think they announced that not too long after The Nun they were doing that. And there's been no forward momentum. On a crooked man movie as far sense. as i know the only ones on the book right now other than obviously conjuring three which is done but the nun two and the crooked man i believe are the next two that they're talking about making which i think they're pushing their luck with how much this was reviled by audiences and critics yeah, with everyone all... like you said a c rating just goes to show that yeah it was mediocre that's what the audience thought yeah, is, is that right that's not good. No. <laughs> That's not good. No good. No good. It's a, it's a terrible film. Yeah, especially with, like, I mentioned the jump scare thing. This movie does a pretty poor job of that. Even with, like, there's a great example of a good jump scare we'll get to in our second feature that I think really does a great job of subverting expectations. As opposed to this one does, like, the laziest version of that, where there's a point where Tisa get like I said, walking down the hallway, like, she's in 90% of the things in this movie, and there's a nun yeah. with no face behind her, and she's like, oh... Oh, is there someone behind me? As she's turning around, another nun comes from the left and pins her to, like, the fucking wall. That's not scary. That's just startling. Right. I agree. I agree. Well, that's what I was getting at earlier when I said, you know, the cat jumps on the table. Boom! Loud noise. It's it's a cheap jump scare. And uh, I just never have respected that tactic. Like, if it's literally just a loud noise to make someone jump out of their seat, then you're not scaring me. You're startling me. I completely agree. Right, it's more of a screamer thing you would get in, like, an email, as opposed to... Right, 
Like, yeah. God. And what's even worse is, like, this movie wants to play it both ways, unlike, I think, a lot of the other Conjuring movies, where they try and keep, like, a, hey, we're in period, either in the 70s or in the 60s or whatever. We're keeping in period even with the style of things. Everyone's kind of treating this as seriously as they can. This movie has the weird thing where it's a 50-set movie, but also they do, like, 80s action one-liners, like, particularly the Frenchy character at the end, where the nun says, like, you should have stopped before Frenchman. And he's like, I'm French-Canadian. <laughs> Does some bullshit. Like, that's, like, what What are you doing? What What, what tone are you going for with this movie? I completely agree. It, it, it wants to be a gothic horror, yet with shitty jump scares and, like you said, awful one-liners and horribly boring backstory. Though I will say, honestly, I don't think it is the worst of the Conjuring franchise. I, I, you know, I have to agree with you. Uh, at first, I thought it was until I remembered uh, the first Annabelle. I'm like, oh, no, that was easily the worst. Because the first Annabelle is so boring, but also it's so blandly shot throughout all of it, as opposed to, yes. like, you can see everything in Annabelle, to its credit, but also it's just dull. It doesn't even look that 60s period as much. It looks like, oh, this is some, this was like the off day for the Mad Men crew, where it's like, what do you have? Uh, a couple of suits and dresses, you know, for people to wear, but that's about it. Yep, pretty much. I agree with that 100%. I guess we should go into final thoughts on Adam on the Nun. And also, uh, where do you possibly see, like, what other things could they do with spinoffs that could work for you with, like, the Conjuring movies? And maybe even a specific monster. That might work for a spin-off. To, to, to talk about The Nun first, I, I, it's frustratingly bland and boring. And it shouldn't be. Uh, there's a lot of good elements that they had at their disposal that they just fucking cocked it all up and just gave you a really bland, basic uh, attempt at a horror film. It is not the worst. Annabelle's easily the worst. But I expected Annabelle to be bad, the first one. Uh, this I kind of had hopes for just because of the look and the trailers and everything. But, you know, it didn't do anything to make me care uh, about the characters or the titular sort of villain at all, uh, to the point where I don't at all need a second one. And as far as uh, the spinoff characters, like, yeah, I, I think the Crooked Man could be a cool one. I did dig the idea of the Fairy Man in the Annabelle 3. Um, I, you know, not necessarily look, but... It, they gave it enough backstory to where they could maybe build something out of that one. And you could go really back in like the past with it. But other than those two, that, that's about it. I, I'm not big on the samurai one. We've talked about this uh, as far as the other monster, but a fucking werewolf has no place in these films. Yes. And Annabelle comes home. If you don't know, a random Leo werewolf shows up. That's one oh, of the fuck artifacts. Giant werewolf that looks like fucking Hugh Jackman as a werewolf in Van Helsing. 100%. It's atrocious. And it's so weird and it, out of place in this franchise. <laughs> I mean, too much, too, too much. Uh, but, you know, it's my thing is I, I wouldn't mind them just con keep doing the Conjuring films like just and then you can introduce all sorts of new characters, but still have it tied, you know, where you don't have to do spinoffs. Each one of the villains could have a movie in set in the Conjuring universe uh, with Ed and Lorraine. And I think to me, that would be the way to go forward instead of doing these one offs with characters you don't give a shit about. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree that I think, particularly with, you mentioned the fairy man, which if you don't know, was this guy that also showed up in Annabelle Comes Home, one of many, 
because the whole premise of that yeah. movie is like, oh, all of their things come out of the room and they're said free, ooh, it's spooky. And uh, he's this guy who, like, you have to put coins on his eyes in order to, like, accept a soul and shit like that. That guy was pretty cool, but I would agree. I would rather him not have, like, a spinoff with whoever the fuck as opposed to him just have a movie where he faces off against the Warrens. I would agree where I think be right. a more interesting movie. Because, uh, yeah, even, like, with the other ghosts, like, wh- one of my favorite ghosts in any of these movies is the old man in The Conjuring 2, I think is one of just my favorite examples Bill of one. Wilkins. Uh, Bill Wilkins, yeah, yes. Yeah Bill, yeah, Bill Wilkins, terrifying. Right, who is just, like, he's an old dude, but what's so great is, like, what you necessarily don't see, and how particularly the sequence in Conjuring 2, where, like, it's Patrick Wilson interviewing him, and you see in the background as he materializes in that chair is such a fucking great bit in that movie and so terrifying. And you're also, you know, trying to help out with, like, the Warrens and this family. Like, that makes it a lot more interesting as opposed to in The Nun, where it's a nun who's not quite a nun and a French guy and a priest who are pretty thin as characters. Like, it doesn't... It results in, like, a pretty dull, boring horror movie, which is, like, not even fun to kind of make fun of because you're just sitting there like, "Uh uh-huh. Oh, she's walking down a hallway. Oh, another hallway. Interesting. Yeah. Oof. Look, different angle in that hallway. Um, yeah, and also, I think it's just a thing of, like, I think Catholic imagery and nuns in particular are so played out. Like, I just don't care really yeah, that I don't much. Care. And even with Valak the Nun, who was really great in Conjuring 2, but uh, that's really all you need to see of her, because the nun is bad. So we should go into our good feature, but first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after ours. Or conjure it up. <laughs> hey everyone, this is George Tripsis, co-host from the Metal Geeks podcast, along with Carrie, the Metal Geek, and Brutal Dave. Our show is where we bring the Metal Geek culture and heavy metal culture and mash it into the geek culture. Come listen to our show where we talk about movies, comic books, Disney stuff, and mostly about movies where I'm always right and Carrie's never right. Check us out at MetalGeeks.net and catch us on all your earhole listening podcast devices. I'm Carrie the Metal Geek, and I approve this message. And now let's get into Annabelle Creation. Ed and Lorraine Warren met her in 1971, but her story began long before then. On August 11th, we found the doll. That doll was hidden away. Witness the creation of evil. Creation, rated R. So, Annabelle Creation is uh, the second film in the Annabelle sort of mini series within the overall Conjuring universe franchise of sorts. As we were kind of mentioned earlier, the first Annabelle came out in 2014 and uh, was spun off mainly based on just how successful the Annabelle doll was in the first Conjuring, who was not as much of an entity. She shows up in a prologue and then one scene with the daughter character. Um, But that doll made a pretty big impression despite all that. And what are your feelings on the doll in the first Conjuring and Annabelle before we even get into any of that? Do you think that she's a worthy horror icon? Uh, to be fully transparent, I never liked the look of it. I thought, you know, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, well, of course this thing's fucking evil. Like, there's no question looking at it. But that type of shit really scares people, really bothers people, dolls in general, uh, especially in the way she's dressed and sort of like old school Victorian garb. Like, I get it. I It totally makes sense to me why this one sort of exists, why this would be the first spinoff. Like, I completely get it. And to be fair, the 
the scene in the conjuring in the first one where they're describing what's been happening with the doll is pretty chilling shit dude with the red crayon and writing all over you know it's 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 pretty creepy dude so I get it. Yeah, I think I agree with you that there's the weird problem of like in in reality IRL quote unquote that the actual Warrens said once again mileage may vary um and by vary yeah. I mean it's bullshit. Uh they said that the cursed doll was this uh, Raggedy Ann doll. Raggedy Ann. Right. Yeah. Which is perfect because like oh this unassuming Raggedy Ann doll that's like so iconic for being just like oh it's a cute like plush doll that your kids sleep with ends up being evil. But then the Conjuring, they're like, okay, we can't use Raggedy Ann for, like, copyright reasons, but how about we make a doll that looks so scary from the start where, like, any child would be like, no, no, Daddy, no, I don't want that. Please keep that away from me. Yeah, right. These teenage kids or college kids, they move into the house and find it. That fucker's gone. Like, it's gone. In the trash. And, but I think it worked, at least in the first Conjuring, because it wasn't, like, our main antagonist of sorts. And sure. hence the problem when you make a spinoff about it. And the weird thing is in the first Annabelle, they make it like, oh, Annabelle is like a conduit for a demon to come to our world, which mm-hmm. is kind of in the execution of that lame. Uh, because yes. like this demon shows up and it's just kind of carrying the Annabelle doll around. And it's like, I don't, what the fuck? Why would this doll even be, have that kind of an attachment? Well, they answered that in this prequel that takes place um, in the early 60s, and um, is about basically this orphanage that's run by Sister Charlotte, uh, played by Stephanie Sigmund. Um, they have to, like, they've lost the their original orphanage, so they're moving into this nice childless couple's home, uh, the Mullins, played by Anthony LaPaglia and Miranda Otto, um, who have lost a child, as we see in a prologue, um, but before he sort of gave it up, Samuel was a toy maker, and he made dolls, including the Annabelle doll and as uh, things are revealed with especially little orphan girls that are living there and start discovering some things inside the house uh, there's some creepy connotations to the titular Annabelle doll and Adam you said you hadn't seen this one before correct Uh, yeah I I stayed away from both this and the third one because of how terrible the first one was so yeah I was like "Ah, you know I'm a couple recommendations and then you said it was all right that's why I sort of made it one of the options for the show and uh, I watched it last night followed by the third and uh, out of all of the Conjuring spinoffs possibly even Conjuring 2 this is my favorite interesting Annabelle Creation all right. Well, I, I would generally agree. I think it's one of the better ones, but go go ahead a bit more into why you think it's one of the better ones in particular. Dude, it's a fucking white knuckle, oh, what the fuck is happening movie within the first three minutes. The opening sort of gut punch they give you is so tragic and awful and graphic, even though they don't show anything, you just hear it. And it's, I mean, it cuts away right before the impact and you're like, oh, fuck me. And this is, this is the perfect example of like what I said earlier, where there's scenes where, you know, a jump scare is coming, but then right in the background, if you're just look close enough, you can see shit happening. Uh, In particular, when the little girl finds Annabelle under the stairs. And if you just look up, you can see the demon's eyes. Like, just fucking stand in there. But that scene alone, I was like, holy fuck. And that happens quite a few times in this movie. To where if right in front of your face, they're showing you just either this demon or something else that's in the room that's going to happen. 
but it's done so well because you're just focused on either the fucking doll or you're so like just preparing yourself for a jump scare you know is coming that you don't even notice it and yet if it wasn't there it would not be as scary like this movie is a prime example of the classic saying and i it's it's a pun and i don't mean it to be but the devil's in the details in this movie man there's so much going on and it's so fucking scary and just non-stop unrelenting like punishment and evil is happening to these people in this house and it is so good and the kid actors are fantastic yeah particularly like i would say lulu wilson who this was not too long after she'd been in ouija origin of evil the previous year yeah right right holy shit yeah right Um, she was a really coming up at this time as like a cute little like horror child actress and i i think it's a big credit to, we should mention the director is a guy named David F. Sandberg, who before this had done a movie called Lights Out, which I think is a very poorly written movie that's wonderfully directed. It's such a conflicting thing. It's like, wow, this is a really cool director. I wish he had gotten a better script that wasn't just full of fucking stupid yes. bullshit. Um, and then later on would go on to direct Shazam, uh, which I think you can see a lot of the hallmarks from here that would later benefit him in Shazam particularly uh he's very good with like kid actors and he made oh, yeah, really yeah. good performances out of him especially you feel the sort of sisterly bond between the Janice and Linda character where they're two little girls in this orphanage who just want to get adopted together and you're like oh these crazy kids gonna make it out uh spoilers one of them doesn't <laughs> yeah right well and she does in a way I mean in a way <laughs> but is it in her at that point who knows no it's definitely not um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just, it's so good, and it's paced so well. Like, to me, that's one thing I could say about this one in comparison to maybe The Conjuring 2 or even the third one. There was no sense of, like, okay, can we move this along for me in this one? Like, it was just nonstop building tension, building tension, payoff, build tension, build tension, payoff. It worked so well. It went by, like, a breeze, and it was, I mean... I'm sitting here in my house by myself. I'm a 40-year-old man almost watching this movie last night, scaring the shit out of myself watching it. I got up. I paused it and got up and went and turned on my bedroom light because I'm like, man, if I go in there and there's fucking shadows in there, I'm not going to bed. (laughs) It's so fucking – it's so effective. This is one of the most effective horror films I've personally seen in a long time. Um, I don't know if I would go that far. I would say it's one of the more effective big studio horror movies I would say. Yeah, okay, yeah, that, that's more accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's more accurate. Because I think you have Sandberg, who would come from, like, a smaller background doing, like, short films and stuff like that. And I think he gives this kind of, like, a smaller, grungier um, feel, despite the fact that it costs, like, $15 million. And I think it really helps out to, like, get you invested in the family, where, like, it does the classic thing that both the Conjuring movies do. And I think any great movie kind of does this to some degree is what I call, like, the Scorsese shot. Or there's one shot that gets you throughout, like, the entire layout of that bottom floor of the house. Where you get exactly, like, okay, here's this room, that room, and here's, more importantly, I forgot what it's called, like, the chair that goes up and down. What I call the Mrs. Deagle chair, unfortunately, because of Gremlins. Uh, But, yeah, basically the the automated chair that's able to go up the stairs for somebody who is not able to access the stairs. Um, Which I think they also do a pretty good job of, like, selling the whole deal, because Janice has had polio, I believe, was the reason yes, right why and she has a uh, brace on her leg and so she's and i like the fact that they play so much about like her not wanting to 
like be a burden but how much that also hurts her at the same time because she's a little kid who can't like go outside and play all the time i really like how they handle that with her character oh definitely me too me too and i just the way that she acts with the you know the other little girl where she's like you know i don't treat me any different you know just go play don't you don't have to stay in here protect me there's such a really good dynamic between those two that you really feel sort of the weight of it when everything starts really hitting the fan and also it's not afraid to have her be the brunt of some horrible scares, particularly the oh. whole sequence at night where like she's trying yeah. to go up the stairs. And it's one of my favorite examples of like actually subverting the jump scare thing where my favorite child, of the whole movie is her when like she's trying to go down the stairs in the chair and then stops and then accidentally goes back up and she's like, Oh my God, Oh my God. I got, and the shots constructed where she's on the left and there's blank blackness on the right. And you think, because you're trained and watch horror movies, like, oh, the monster's going to show up from the shadows, right? And she fucking lifts up. She, like, shoots up like a rocket. And you're like, what? (laughs) And then they also do another great, great subverting jump scare to where they, you know, they're showing the floor so long. And then the shoe falls. And you're like, oh, fuck, where is she? Boom, there she is. <laughs> like, they just dropped the pot. She, she got dropped like, like she was like a fucking dropped. wrestler on, from a ladder. <laughs> yes. And he, I mean, she hits solid, too. And you're like, oh, fuck. This is also another one of those movies to where you almost want to, like, grab a kid in these some of these and shake them. Be like, what the fuck are you thinking? Don't. Like, when she's in that room, like, the very first time when she goes into spoiler alert their daughter's room named b huh, i wonder why <laughs> annabelle um but when she goes into the the room and the scene with the fucking sheet which is so good where she covers down the sheet and all of a sudden the sheet stands up and is walking towards her and when it falls there's nothing there i know they did that in the first one i believe the same sort of scare but it's way more effective in this one and she leaves and blah, doesn't go back there why would you go back in that room again after that happened you could not give me enough money to walk back into that room where, hey, I legit just saw a ghost that came after me. Nope, not going in there. I think what the movie does a strong job of is like seeing that like that sequence unleashes the, the demon. And from there, <laughs> they really can't avoid the demon at that point. Also, could you really like stay at that house where like there's a demon anyway? No. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't be no. able to. But the geniuses, they established very firmly on, like, look, we have nowhere to go. We literally got nowhere to go. Yeah, if they kick us out, we get, we're we done. We got nothing. Yeah. Which, I, they do a great, really great job of establishing that, and also, I think, with, like, establishing that kind of um, issue with the girls. Like, I love the scene where the sister character, the sister Charlotte character, talks to uh, the the Janice character about like, look, really think about the other girls before you do it. This isn't going to just affect you. This is going to affect everybody. I think it's a stronger example of like how she is someone who's obviously of the faith given she's a nun, but at the same time, it's not just about being like, Oh, I'm a nun. And it's all about like respecting the Lord and all sorts of stuff. It's all, it's more about just like actually raising this girl to like respect this house and these people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another, another one that I, I really thought was effective and great, uh, it's hard to not just talk about the scares in this movie because they are plentiful and they're all well done. The one with Linda where she's got sort of that ray gun that shoots out the ball and you, you wheel it back yes. in. Yes. Shoot it out the door and then it gets caught and it goes up into the air, you know. And she's just staring in the blackness and you hear these short little footsteps. Boom, boom. And then all of a sudden it's a dead ass run. Whatever's coming to that room is booking its ass into that room now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, 
fuck. Even thinking about it right now, I got goosebumps. Because you can't even see it, but you know something's just fucking coming at you now. Like, it's coming after you. And God bless her. She does a classic little kid thing of get on the bed and hide under the blankets. That was so effective. Like, oh, fuck. Oh, God damn it. Like, I'm literally, oh, no. Or, or even one that involves, like, a bit of, like, actual, like, straight-up effects work that I thought still really worked is when Anthony LaPeglia finally faces up against the Annabelle demon, and he's holding a cross-up, and his fucking fingers are bent individually one by one over the other way. I'm like, ooh. Oh, completely bad. Oh, my God. And let's let's just get on to that, too, Anthony LaPeglia. He's really good in this. Yes. And I really like that he's sort of almost up until that scene it's really the scene where he sits on the porch with linda that you're like oh no but up until that he's almost like a red herring character like does he know what's going on he's almost comes off like he could be a threat well i love Uh, about lopeglia's performances he has this very interesting middle ground between welcoming but introverted person and you're like yeah. actually a monster man. I don't know which you could be. And I think he does such a great job right, balancing. Exactly. Particularly the scene where like he walks by the, as the girls are like talking about like, oh, he's pretty cute. Oh yeah, what about this guy? And then he's just yeah. like standing there in the hallway and they're like, uh, uh. <laughs> and then he leaves. Yeah. You completely get why these kids are like, oh no, he's going to murder us. Yeah, right. That's what makes that scene all the more terrifying on the porch where it's just like, you're in that fucking closet. Like, oh God, wait, no. Oh no. Stay away from, you stay away from that doll. Like, oh, shit. And then he goes in the house, and there it is, sitting at the fucking kitchen table. Like, oh, boy. Uh, yeah, great, great, great acting, great character. Uh, Miranda Otto was perfectly fine. She was fine in it. She was fun. Her comeuppance is brutal. I have a lot of issue with that character, though. I think that's my weakest point with the movie, really, is that character. Because you, you, you mentioned so much about, like, how much interesting, like, depth and how much Anthony LaPegli is able to play. And the Miranda Otto character is just kind of like, hey, I'm in my bedroom most of the time, and I'm obscured. And it's also a weird thing where, like, after we had, like, the Janus character, now we have this other character who has, like, a disability of some sort, and she's just, like, put off to the side. And only whenever, like, we do get to see much of her, aside from the flashbacks, she's just an exposition machine, really. Yeah, no, she definitely is, but, you know, unfortunately in these type of movies and it does suck but there's always an exposition machine um it just sucks that it had to be her character like it had been much better if it was like the priest or something i I definitely agree or even if you balanced out like the character stuff and the exposition between her and the pegley as opposed to he got all the good character beats and she's mostly just an exposition machine and he's also treated as like this literal like monster like she's literally a phantom of the opera because she has like a half mask and shit like, I just, I don't know why we had to turn her into that. Apparently, uh, from what I understand, she was going to be, like, sort of the main antagonist of the last third of the movie. Right. Um, where she would zest or whatever, and she'd be the one chasing her up the dumb waiter, even though she kind of already did that. But still, it, it would definitely be her in the barn with the other girl and stuff like that. Uh, I, I, You know, in all honesty, I'm glad it didn't go that route either, because then it would have been even a little bit more offensive. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that, um, but they do just kind of like half her, and especially because I like the stuff they do with the Scarecrow. I think the Scarecrow is a really effective device where the Scarecrow isn't actually, like, that's a better example of how to do a conduit thing than Annabelle, where, like, literally the Scarecrow is just thin there most of the time, looks kind of creepy, and you're like, something's going to happen with that Scarecrow. And then especially the shot where it comes to life, and but more importantly, the demon rips 
out of the scarecrow yeah. is so upsetting. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. And then the whole light bulbs unscrewing thing, like it's done so, so well. And you know, that's one thing about this movie too. Technically, none of the kids die. The the orphan girls. No. That's true. Which you would expect, honestly, there to be a couple of them that would go. But yeah, they don't none of them die. They all make it. They they put the kid killing on front street. And then uh-huh. don't do it with the, the rest of them. Uh, the, the the demon does play the long game with the Janus character. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, no, yeah. Which I also want to really give credit to, like, we talked about how lazy the interconnection thing was in The Nun. Versus, this uh-huh. is a great example of, like, David F. Sandberg said, like, oh, I don't want to do, like, a prequel or sequel or whatever, because I want something that kind of stands on its own. And this one mostly does, but the stuff they do integrate from the first Annabelle is so improved like the demon character or when they have the big tie up at the end where Janus ends up being revealed grows up into being the the woman who had um basically attacked everybody and was part of a satanic cult in the first annabelle which i thought was like kind of ingenious the way that they managed to do tie that all up at the end of it i know i agree it almost made me want to go back and watch the first annabelle after i finished it i was like no i didn't do it i didn't do it i didn't do it thank god but it almost did, because I agree. It's super fascinating. You're like, oh, it's had so many layers. And then I'm like, well, it's not going to matter, because the whole movie is shit. Yeah, those shadows also, they have, what's the gift that she's given by her adoptive parents? A Raggedy Ann doll. Hey! Hey! But no, I, I, I really did thoroughly enjoy this movie. Like I said, I, I as soon as it was over, I watched the third, which I have a lot more problems with the third one than I do this one. The third one is still very effective, but this one is just pretty solid man it's a pretty solid horror film the third one has a lot more of a problem of it's less of like an annabelle 3 and more of like a conjuring 2.5 yeah and and it really feels like hey, which one of these is gonna be the next spinoff it better not fucking be that werewolf it better fucking it not better be. be that werewolf i swear to fucking god <laughs> coming soon the conjuring colon werewolf <laughs> god Werewolf? Werewolf. The Conjurcals Werewolf. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, yeah, instead we got this and uh, with the Annabelle creation. And I do agree. I think this one, it's such an improvement over the first one. And even with some of the stuff that's done in the third one and some of these other spinoffs, I think this is exactly how you take the task, the studio mandated task of we need another spinoff about a character who really on paper isn't that interesting with like the Annabelle doll. It's like, it's not that interesting a film, especially in the context of, Oh, she's just like a conduit for like other things. She doesn't really have any agency. She is still a plastic thing. And in this movie, they do a lot to like, especially get you invested in like the creation of Annabelle. We didn't even talk about the whole backstory of how Annabelle is the conduit. I thought was like so well done with the idea that like, Oh, they were praying to whatever deity could give them back their daughter. And uh, they got, you know, their daughter, but from a less than great source. Um, and down to the sequence where they walk into her uh, room and they see her, like, sitting at the little table with the tea tray. And then her limbs extend and she becomes the demon. <laughs> it's so upsetting. Oh, yeah, dude. And it's so well done. Because I've seen that trick, obviously, done in movies before, too. But, yeah, this one, it it's so creepy and weird. And, like, the way she's walking on the sides of her ankles, and you can, like, almost feel, like, the bones snapping and changing. Yeah, it, it's so creepy. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of starting Final Thoughts, so I'll just 
finalize my final thoughts sure. uh, by saying, yeah, Annabelle Creation is definitely the better one of these spinoffs, I would agree. I still say I prefer the first two Conjuring slightly more, but it's very neck and neck with two. In particular, it's like, oh, it could be the second of the Conjuring franchise or third. Whatever, it still is very good. And I think especially does a really impressive job of taking very limited uh, source material from the original movie and just making a really solid and grossing horror movie with characters you care about. And it's also like a really great spotlight for David F. Sandberg is becoming fast after like this and Shazam, one of my favorite up and coming filmmakers. And I'm just like, great dude, I know you're in Shazam too, but do some other shit. I'll, I'll see whatever the fuck you do. But yeah, Annabelle creation, um, definitely one of the better examples, even not just of a spinoff, but a prequel. It's a really good prequel. I mean, just to actually like tie everything together really well. Uh, I'm gonna. I agree with everything you just said. Um, I, I think this is an incredibly solid um, horror film. Very good spinoff. Uh, the first Conjuring to me is still the the best of the Conjuring universe. Uh, but I would probably put this at number two, and I mean right above Conjuring two, and not by much, because uh, I watched that again last night as well, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed this more. Um, maybe because it was a first-time watch, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, I think it's a really, really solid horror film that, you know, unfortunately is saddled by being the second to the first Annabelle. Um, I believe that's why maybe it doesn't get as much of the attention that it deserves. It does get a lot. There are a lot of fans of this, but I do know a lot of people who avoided it, too, because of how bad the first one was. I'm not saying that's unfair because I did the same thing. But this is, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's definitely, definitely worth a watch, especially if, you know, horror or the Conjuring movies are sort of your thing, then you can't go wrong with this one. Yeah, or even if you've kind of been dispelled by like, oh my god, these Conjuring movies are just making too many of them. It's definitely, this and the first two Conjurings are the ones that I would recommend you see. Because even like, at, at their most inoffensive, beyond like the crappy ones we talked about, you got like La Llorona, which is fine. It's boring. A movie that exists. I don't. I don't think it's like terrible, but I think it's just like it's the most bland vanilla kind of version of like competency with this kind of setup that they do. Um, yeah, yeah. Where it's it's totally watchable, but very forgettable. As opposed to you'll like hate yourself with the other ones. You're just like eh, whatever. It's like eating a cracker watching Lalaronia. Didn't help also a movie about like a Mexican legend that stars a bunch of white people and is made by white people. Doesn't also help with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would say definitely Annabelle Creation and the first two Conjurings are the way to go with this franchise. Definitely. Uh, but before we get to our next segment, uh, here is a little message from the ESO crew that we very much fully endorse. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout-out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID-19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it, creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. All right, now it's time for the double redo where uh, this is a segment where every week uh, after we talk about our two movies, Am and I uh, do a couple of recommendations and not so big recommendations uh, for movies uh, that are related to uh, the topic that we're doing for the day. Uh, and we wanted to note that this is the first time we've done one of these with a franchise. Well, usually when we do these double redos, we don't want to like 
just reference the movies we either just talked about or have a bigger pool than besides these two movies what there's five other fucking movies to talk about in the conjuring franchise so for franchises we're going to open up the selections to stuff that's been that influenced these movies or has been influenced by them that's followed or you know uh, just maybe from some of the people that are involved you know that would uh, make for a good compliment yeah definitely yeah, yeah. so i'll start uh with mine because i have each of us have two good and two bad movies uh, that we're uh, recommending and then not so recommending that make the good and bad double feature to compliment. Uh, for me, the two that I picked were um, one is a clearly inspired, I think, a lot of the Conjuring movies, and one is one that came out post these movies, but I think uh, adds a bit of a new, interesting cultural context to it. Uh, first, the one that came before, I am recommending Exorcist 3, which, if you don't know, is the third in the Exorcist movies. Uh, first Exorcist, great movie. Second one, you don't have to bother with, because three is no. mainly following up from the first film and is made by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the original book and uh, wrote the screenplay for the original, and follows the cop character that we ha- had seen in the first movie, who now is played by George C. Scott and is phenomenal in this movie. Um, and it's a horror movie, but also feels very much more like a play, but yet doesn't seem uncinematic at all. It's weird to really describe, but it's following that character as he realizes there's this uh, possessed uh, character that he had once known that he's trying to get a demon out of. And there are so many great sequences of terror and jump scares. And more importantly, one of my favorite performances in any horror film is in this movie from Brad Dorif, who plays the possessed guy. And it's um, just, it's one of the great horror performances. It's just, it's, it's such a phenomenal turn from him that I would recommend to anybody. That's on Tubi TV and Peacock, if you want to watch that. And uh, my other one is a more recent film that uh, is on Netflix. It's a Netflix original. And it is called His House, which is a movie that's uh, about a couple that moves from the southern Sudan. They're refugees. And they are in England. And uh, they get this squatter kind of shitty house uh, that's part of, like, this housing tenements. And uh, as they find out, there is a ghost of some sort, and there's several ghosts. And I think it's a really great debut that has, like, so many creepy elements, but also feels very much of its own in, like, its cultural representation. I just thought it was a really, like, undersung movie from 2020 that I would recommend to anybody out there. See, that one's on Netflix. Um, and then my two bad very quickly... One is the Poltergeist remake that came out in 2015. Feels like the antithetical version of it, especially where you can tell Poltergeist inspired these movies. And the Poltergeist remake is such a bland, dull example of how to poorly do a lot of this. It's not one of the worst remakes, but it's like the most forgettable Poltergeist movie. Which is saying a lot when like there are worse movies like Poltergeist 3 involved, but that's still more memorable than this really bland, forgettable, awful remake. And then... Uh, it's on Netflix, but I wouldn't recommend you watch it. Winchester, starring Helen Mirren oh, from the Spirit God. Brothers, which I think is like the example of trying to recreate the style of The Conjuring. And especially with a cool, based on a true story idea of the Winchester house, which you don't know is a real house in England that's like was designed basically to contain ghosts and has so many different weird hallways and stuff. That house is so much more interesting than this dull, awful movie that wastes a lot of townspeople, including the star Helen Mirren. It's uh, really dull, really bad. Those are mine that I would like to mention. Yeah, uh, I all I agree with all of them. <laughs> um, my two good ones are ones that I feel definitely uh, influenced 
sort of the universe and you just mentioned one of them uh but i'd be hard pressed not to say it because of just it deals with you know sort of paranormal researchers and it is uh maybe the best haunted house movie ever made and that is the original poltergeist top to bottom one of the best movies ever and also has what i feel uh in comparison to as we mentioned with the the warrens a great sort of uh, adult married couple and their dynamic with each other and everything. Uh, it, it's just, it's fen- phenomenal. There's, there's nothing wrong with Poltergeist. Um, and then my other choice, uh, oddly enough, is another George C. Scott film, The Changeling, which is another one of the greatest haunted house movies ever made. Um, you know, it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And it's another sort of example of the ghosts maybe playing tricks on the person to maybe they're not who they, the guy thinks they are. Great look, great George C. Scott performance. The house alone is, is just a character. It's a beautiful, scary, awesome movie that uh, isn't really mentioned a lot in the great circles of, you know, haunted house movies. And, and I think that's a huge disservice. I absolutely love the changeling. The changeling of, by the way, is on uh, shutter. If anybody has that. And, um, my bad choices, one, the boy, which is obviously it's a little doll and a creepy house and everything. It's so stupid. The first boy movie is, it's just so, so ridiculous really 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 dull really 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 dumb and then another one i picked is also a newer one um that came out sort of post post conjuring sort of craziness uh it's the one uh with finn wolfhard from um it and stranger things it's called the turning uh another creepy kids in a house blah 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 is it haunted Uh, it's also just a very dull drab dumb affair i would avoid both of those unless you are struggling for a sleep aid and don't like taking any medicine to get there. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with your your good ones uh, in particular. Uh, my Poltergeist was one of the movies that got me into horror when I was younger. Um, and I would also say that uh, the uh, the Changeling is one I didn't really see until much more recently. And I really do dig. I think particularly there's one great, phenomenal, spooky scare with a ball going down the stairs. That's all I'll oh. say. Uh, that's really chilling. Um, and Scott does a great job of, like leading both of like that and Exorcist Three. He really makes you believe in the horror that's there. I've seen The Boy. I haven't seen your other yes. one, but uh, The Boy is interesting to me in that it has a curious buildup that I thought was kind of intriguing about like the Lauren Cohen character kind of coming to grips with like, oh, this doll might be haunted, but maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing. That the ghost of this boy is here, and then it takes a weird turn. I won't say what it is in the third act. It's just like, oh, what the fuck is this now? What? <laughs> so dumb. It's, it's very dumb. It's at least memorable, though. I'll give it that. I probably wouldn't remember the movie was more this other way, as opposed to it takes a, such an odd turn with its ending. And I'm guessing you didn't see uh, Brahms the Boy 2, which is a great thing when you have your subtitle <laughs> first. <laughs> the title. One, one, Avoided it like the plague. That's our double redo as it were, and uh, we actually wanted to share a brief thing in terms of the feedback, because um, this is in reference to our previous episode. Uh, James Rodriguez, friend of the show, 
uh, had two things. One, he recommended a double bill for Paranormal Romance, based on last week, where he said, for a double bill, how about 2017's Thelma, as a girl's psychic abilities are an allegory for sexual repression, and 2013's Odd Thomas, uh, a charming couple, uh, tries to stop the threat of murderous forces. I have not seen either of those. I've heard very good things about both, particularly Thelma. Uh, I haven't seen Thelma either. I, I'm down to, to try it. And I wasn't big on Odd Thomas, man. I mean, I liked it enough. Uh, but I never felt sort of the romantic sort of connection between the two leads. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think that's the point that you're supposed to. And to me, it just never clicked. Plus, it just hurt you on a more personal level. Odd Thomas. I'm the Odd Thomas here. Well, I mean, I, I am too a little bit. My last name. Come on, buddy. Don't that's, count no, me That's out. what I'm saying. I'm doing that from your perspective watching Odd Thomas because I haven't seen Odd Thomas. I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. <laughs> oh, well, uh, James also had another comment. Um, with your new Godfather rule in place, I'm curious about what prior films you'd gladly would have vetoed. What previous pick would you have wanted to take the cannoli on? We did not mention the Godfather rule thing at all last episode, and I apologize. Uh, that completely slipped our mind when we were doing it. Basically, um, at the end of the show where we're going to do our picking, there is a new rule that was instituted a couple episodes ago where... Once someone says a choice, Adam and I have the option to do this once for the next year to take the cannoli, which means to veto a choice that we hear. So, Adam, for in the far past, in the three years prior to introducing this rule, what movies would you have vetoed, especially hearing them immediately? You would have said, no, give me the other choice I haven't heard of. Oogie Loves. Right off the bat. No question. And uh, Country Bears were the first two that popped in there. Uh, both of those I could do without. I could do without ever seeing them, and I'm mad that I did. Interesting keeping in mind that for both of those, the alternatives, because Country Birds was for a Disney Plus episode, we would have ended up with mm-hmm. Kazam as the bad pick. Well, I, I, I'd rather watch Kazam. And then for the Cloris Leachman episode where Oogie Loves was the bad choice, we would have ended up with the Beverly Hillbillies. Also would have rather watched than Oogie Loves. I would argue, though, at least with both of those, those made for much more interesting episodes than if we That's had fair. done the other choices. What about you? Do you, you pop in? I, I had a couple that popped in, but these were more of ones that I believe I questioned at the time and would still question if you had brought them to my attention. For um, the Troubled Productions episode, we did Fifty Shades of Grey, which I think at the time I oh. questioned, and I think, honestly, was a pretty bad uh ch- choice to do because we didn't have a lot to say about Fifty Shades of Grey though to be fair we would have ended up with the Lone Ranger as our alt pick which oh well nowadays yeah no well I I love at the time there was one problematic element of that and now there's at least two problematic elements of that um yeah the leads yes Right, as opposed to just one of the leads. That's like, oh no, both of them now. Right. Um, and then uh, the other one for the romantic comedies one, I think this would have just been because this was more of a technicality issue of Glitter. Glitter was the one that we ended up talking about. And I would have vetoed that just on like the technicality of like, that's not a romantic comedy. Hey man, that's what it's described as for some reason. Though watching the movie, it's not a romantic comedy at all. Not- no, as, as opposed to, we would have ended up with Gili as the alternate pick, which might have been difficult just because I don't think that's even streaming anywhere. I think that movie's locked in a vault where it can never be seen again. <laughs> it's probably for the best. Probably for the best, yes. Uh, but yeah, those are ones I, I probably would have uh, vetoed myself. Uh, but 
it's time to start ending the show, Adam, because we got to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen more of his music, chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for the artwork. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Night of Water. That's night with a K underscore of underscore water. For more of his great arts, there'll be a link in the description for him. And of course, we're going to thank our loyal patrons at patreon.com slash gedbpod where you know, every month you get to pick individual topics or movies we do for the show. And also you get bonus podcast stuff. And there's a lot going on over there on the Patreon. Because one, right now you can listen to our Westworld commentary. That was our bonus episode for May. Then later this week, you'll be able to hear, speaking of The Conjuring, we'll be doing an On the Edge of Relevance about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which will be on HBO Max. So we'll have a lot of fun discussing that on that Patreon exclusive show. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited about that one. Yes, and then you can also vote in a poll this week because uh, we're going back to the world of Marvel soon, but not the MCU, not that shared universe. Uh, we're going to go going to non-MCU Marvel movies, and you all get to pick between Adam's bad choices. And Adam, what are your two bad choices they can pick between? Well, it's either Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, or X-Men Dark Phoenix. Both yeah. are terrible. Very interesting. I've seen Dark Phoenix and confirmed it's very terrible, but I have not seen either of those uh, Tim Story Fantastic Four movies. I've avoided those. That's probably for the best. They're both terrible. True, but um, I don't know. That might be more reason for me to watch, because I can tell you right now, folks, I'm not sure how much we'll have to talk about Dark Phoenix. (laughs) I think it's a bit of a wolf kind of affair as opposed to a fun one to talk about. And then... Also, just a thing, uh, you know, we've been doing the Patreon for about a year, but we haven't ever announced a Patreon goal, Adam. We haven't put goals for ourselves on the Patreon, but now we're comfortable enough we're going to set our first Patreon goal, which will be up there where um, when we get to 30 patrons, because as of now we have 15, we appreciate all 15 of you that donate, of course. Thank you so much. But we want to expand some things, and we're going to make the statement that if we get to 30 patrons... We'll do a random drawing where one Edge Lord level patron, that's just the people who pay $1 a month, we'll, we will pick randomly one of them to uh, choose a topic for us to do. Yeah. And I mean, it could be anything. Well, within reason. No porn. <laughs> like, no porn. And I think we can firmly establish, like, nothing that we've done, like, multiple times over. Something we've done once, yeah. to be sure. But not something like DC or Marvel, even. It's like we've done those a lot. Oh, God. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no. Those are the ground rules. Like, if we've done it more than once, and if it's porn, we're not going to do that as a topic. Right. But other than that, I mean, you could get nuts with it. Yeah, we could do something really interesting. And, uh, yeah, so if we get to 30 patrons, whenever we do that, we will do that random drawing. And so, you know, if you want to be one of those potential lucky few that might be able to do that, uh, just go ahead and uh, join up for just the dollar a month. It really helps out. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We We... Definitely appreciate it very, very much. Yes. And uh, for more of our antics, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. Um, you can also email us feedback, doublehdoublebill at gmail.com. You know, you can email us questions about the show or double reduce of your own like James did earlier. And we'll read it on the show for sure. And uh, you can also help us out if you're not going to support us on the Patreon monthly. Why not just uh, make one purchase uh, of something at the Tee Public Store for the ESO Network? Uh, there'll be a link in the description for that where you can buy all sorts of different merchandise with our uh, logo on it, both our old logo and our new logo, uh, with, uh, you know, mugs, t-shirts, tote bags, all sorts of stuff. You could just help us out because uh, we get a bit of a kickback from that. So we would recommend you do what, Adam? Buy our merch. 
buy our merch. Oh, I love when you say that, you little demon. You little demon in the corner. I'm so fucking tired of it. <laughs> oh no, the demon's coming right back. Um, but you can follow my own individual antics on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy. And you also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and also Film-Cred.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Atom or Adam. That's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. And I'm on Letterboxd as well at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. And for more of our uh, antics here, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on the ESO Network, why not listen to all the other great shows on there? If you want the first 60 episodes we did or so before we joined ESO, why not dig into our Podbean main feed for all those? And if, you know, you can't support us monetarily by buying some merch or supporting us on the Patreon, we would recommend, if you can, just for totally free, rating, reviewing, or sharing the show around. Because uh, that gets us more visibility out there in the, the ghostly realms of the podcast universe. You know, and the thing is, it's not like there's any other movie podcasts out there. No, not one. So, <laughs> not, not one. Not one. Not a single one. We are so unique. Uh, no, but yeah, just, you know, we've been steadily climbing as far as listenership, and it's a great thing for us. It sort of boosts our confidence and, you know, makes us feel like there's a reason why we're doing this. So if you can just share, that would be fantastic. Yes, but now, Adam, it's time to do our picking for next week. And next week... Uh, we're, you know, going to the realm of uh, talking about a specific actor once again, and uh, this is one we've uh, been wanting to do for a bit. A, a modern actor who's been doing a lot of great stuff. Uh, we have Kristen Stewart as our topic, who, um, you know, people have some issues with the Twilight movies, if you know you're still stuck in 2008. But uh, she's really progressed and done a lot of great stuff in the last decade in particular. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's literally the only reason people don't like her is because of those damn Twilight movies. It's got to be, right? Yeah. And, and the weird sort of like publicity thing around those movies too, which I don't even want to go into. There's a lot of weird stuff with that. But we like covering at least uh, one notable uh, LGBTQ plus actor, filmmaker uh, during Pride Month in June. And Kristen Stewart's a pretty solid one to do. So, uh, and the thing is, Adam, usually we both have two choices and uh, you pick a good or bad one. Um, and I do the same. But the thing is, for this, uh, the patrons, patreon.com slash gdbpod, they voted between two choices for my good Kristen Stewart pick, uh, between Underwater, which ultimately won, and uh, Personal Shopper, which didn't win, kind of bummed, but at the same time, Underwater is a lot of fun stuff to talk about. So we already have that good pick locked. You can't veto that. And I'm totally stoked on it, because I love Underwater. We'll, we'll be talking a lot about that. And as I mentioned before, the Godfather rule is in effect, at least for your bad choices where you'll have those two between uh you've signed each of those two bad choices number between one and ten and i have the option when uh, i pick a number between one and ten and you say oh this is the choice we ended up picking to potentially veto it by saying actually i'll take the cannoli per the godfather rule so adam for your two bad choices i'm gonna pick number eight all right, at number 10, I have a reboot that nobody asked for and nobody wanted. I have the Elizabeth Banks-directed Charlie's Angels. Okay, I have not seen that one. Um, I mean, most of the non-toxic word I've heard on that is just, yeah, it's fine. I, I, 
Yeah, I don't agree with that. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely... Uh, you know what? I am not going to take the cannoli on this, because I'm curious to, to actually watch this, but what was your alternative choice? Uh, number one, I had American Ultra, which I think is an atrocious film. Okay, look. Underwater, we're going to already be talking about one controversial figure that's involved. I'm yeah. glad I don't have to talk about Max Landis. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm that's true. good without that's doing true. that. All right. Yep. All right, so Underwater and uh, the Charlie's Angels remake, two of our more Hollywood movies and two that were very recent in your career, so that'll be very yeah. interesting to talk about. But until then, Adam, it's time that uh, you know we got all our ghost stuff prepared to go into this house and make sure it's clean and there's no Annabelle dolls or nuns or crooked men or werewolves, right? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, that's insidious. I know, but it fits because it's terrifying. Good night, everybody. Bye! has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.